0: Don't read me to Psalm, Psalm chapter five. It's the 19th book in the Old Testament, so Psalm five. Uh, for in the first service, someone asked me, "You preaching again?" And uh, yeah, I know you rather would have uh, Pastor Mike or or Tim preaching, uh, but here we are. Uh, Psalm chapter five. Is what we're gonna be in, and the title of this message is "Rise and Shine." Uh, and last week it was "Sweet Dreams," and this week it's uh, David is actually praying in the morning, so I just you know thought it would be cool to have like "Rise and Shine," so that's the title. Uh, and I'm gonna read God's word over you, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. But let me uh, let me warn you ahead of time that this one is a doozy. This is one of the first one of those doozies. We will see in the Psalms, and, uh, and so let's approach it prayerfully and humbly. And David is writing under, under the inspiration of God's Spirit, so this is God's Word. So this is what he says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me, for there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgression, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Let's pray. Gracious Father, God, we approach a text like this and we come to you. And It's easy to skip over and read the good parts, but you have uh, inspired this. So would you please help us understand. And God, give us a heart to receive your word. Help me to be clear and pray that always, God, we're not just after information, but transformation. So would you transform us by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So David, is. Uh, this is a morning prayer. It's usually categorized as one of those morning prayers. And he's uh, crying out to God. He's uh, waking up and preparing and, and watching and expecting and it made me wonder, like, how many? It's it's easy for us, right, just to wake up and, and uh, you know, if you're a morning person, it's great. If you're not a morning person, you just you know, so sluggish. And, and then, but the ever so optimistic to-do list is always there that you gotta finish and you gotta approach them and you gotta get to them. And then, um, and then just the internal anxiety and the fear of all the decisions that we have to make today and and what might happen and and just the nature, the reality of the struggles that we live in. But David is kind of going through the same scenario here. That's why he's groaning, that's why he's crying, that's why he's pleading. But the good thing about this psalm is that he's actually not just carrying the weight on his shoulders, he's actually giving that weight to God early in the morning so that he can walk freely. And so, that's what I want us to do. I want us to learn from David in his prayer, uh, the way he modeled it, and then his confidence and things that he is demonstrating through this prayer. And may, by God's grace, we actually uh, apply it to our own lives. And and so, the big idea is that abide abide in God through prayer and trust and his righteousness will abide in you. Abide in God through prayer and trust, and his righteousness will abide in you. It's a promise, his righteousness will abide in you. We'll get to it. But abiding in God, it's a multi-dimensional relationship that we have with the Lord. In John 15, Jesus tells us that He, you know, you abide through learning God's word, like meditating on God's word. You abide through prayer. You abide through loving one another. Um, But for the sake of clarity and for the sake of uh, having something tangible for us to do and based on this psalm, I just want to focus on prayer and trust. So we abide in God through prayer and trust. Then as a result, God's righteousness will abide in us. So the first point, is that begin with God. That's what David does. He does it early in the morning, but he begins with God. Diving into these verses, it's just so obvious that this, it looks like a child going to his dad and sitting in his lap and saying, listen to me, please. So walking up and, you know, if you you have kids, you would know this, that they would crawl up to you and then, excuse me, dad, excuse me, pay attention, like pay attention, look at me, answer me and David is actually doing that it's raw it's not polished it's unfiltered he's just crying out give ear to my words he's actually commanding God to pay attention to his cry the boldness and and just being the it demonstrates the urgency and it just demonstrates the rawness in his prayer he's not polishing his prayer you know we during the accountability time in the small groups or when we ask for prayer requests, we try to show that everything is good with us, everything is fine. You know, we want to approach to others or tell them that, hey, things are good, things are great. There's nothing for us to pray for. Uh, That's not what David is doing. There's no filter. His prayers are not polished. His prayers are personal. That's what we see in the next verse, that, His prayers are personal and humble. They're not just urgent and raw, but they're personal and humble. Notice how he's uh, calling out God, like, my king and my God. There's this possessiveness towards God. That God is not some just God up there, but he's my God and my king. It's personal. And then notice the humility of David, because who is he? He's the king, right, the greatest king. That David, I mean, up until that point, he was the greatest king because the bond before him was pretty bad. And uh, David, God brought peace through David to Jerusalem. So he could have been like, I'm the king. But no, he's actually giving clarity to everyone through this prayer because notice this actually is a prayer request that is given to others. To the choirmaster for the flute, so this has to be sung by others. So he's actually telling them and reminding himself that God, is his king. So his authority only comes from God's authority. He's submitting himself under God's authority. So my king, my God, for to you do I pray. And then lastly, he says he's expectant. He's expectant of his prayers. Notice in verse 3, he says, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. Again in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and what so he he knows that God hears his voice. He's expecting that God would hear his voice. We pray. Sometimes we even just say words, but are we consciously expecting that God is hearing right now our prayers? I mean, we know theologically, right, God is sovereign, he knows our heart, everything that's in there. But Are we conscious and are we expecting that God is listening to our prayers when we pray? Because that's what David is saying, that you hear my prayer. You hear my voice. Then he says, in the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. So the word sacrifice, you should have a footnote. Uh, It's not actually in the Hebrew, the original language, but uh, the uh, translators made an interpretive decision for us saying that Looks like more likely it's a sacrifice, but it could be sacrifice, it could be prayer. The point is that he's preparing early in the morning and then watching what would God do. He's not only expecting that God would listen, but he's watching. He's watching that God would listen to his prayers. So his prayers are raw, urgent, personal, humble. And they're expecting. David. He's praying to God. Do we polish our prayers when we go to God's presence or do we come to Him as our Father who would listen to us? This is a great reminder for all of us. right? He's bowing down in front of God and pleading with Him to listen to Him. How do you approach God? So, the next thing I want us to see is that behold his righteousness. Behold God's righteousness. So he starts off, begins with God. The next thing is to behold God's righteousness. Behold God's righteousness is us intentionally focusing on the moral character of God, who he is, and also understanding his righteous judgment And us trusting and placing our confidence in his righteousness. So the first thing is that David's confidence in God's righteousness. That's from verses 4 to 6. Just in three verses, David is reminding God who God is. So for you're not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. He knows God's hate him, and he's reminding them. You know, in our day, when words like this, I personally don't use words like this, because then we also struggle with the tension that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, because we're in this side of the New Testament, in this side of the cross. We see words like this, we don't know what to do, can just say that God, you know, you oppose evil, or when you talk to people, you just say God opposes evil. And it made me wonder, it actually stretched me mentally this week just to work on this one, but it made me wonder, is that what is, do we try to express God's hatred towards evil in a way that would actually make us feel better? Is that because us, are not aware of the depravity of sin and evil and how evil is so bad, like evil is evil. I'm going to tell you a story. It's not a hypothetical story. It's actually a real story. A pastor who was beaten up so bad to recant his faith, and he still doesn't, and then these people come to his home and tell him that if you don't recant your faith, you will kill all your family members right in front of you. So this is your chance, whether you want to recant or you want to still be a Christian. And he says, no, I want to be a Christian. So, one by one, people would start killing his family members, his infant baby, His wife, his older son, finally him. When you look at an evil like that, when you see something like that, it—you don't even have to be a Christian. It burns inside you, makes you angry. You tear up. Look for justice. Where is the justice in this? If. As the fallen beings, if we feel that way, just imagine how God would feel that evil. Imagine God would feel, especially to his children, if something is done towards his children. How would God feel that? He just opposes evil or he actually hates evildoers. That's what David is saying. He is actually, he's saying, reminding all these things so that he, David, would have confidence in God's righteousness. How is that? Because when you see evil, when you see where is the justice, you can remind yourself that no, justice is coming because God hates evil. There is a payday. Someday it's coming and you can be confident in that that God doesn't withstand, God doesn't hold anyone not guilty Destroys evil, destroys those weak, evil. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceit. So David is actually getting his confidence from the Lord. And ultimately, God has to hate sin. Because what he has done to his infinitely loving son wasn't some good things that we have done that has put him on the cross. It's actually our own sin. That put God's son on the cross has to hate, but the point that David is calling us our attention here is that his trust in God's righteousness. Because notice the context: he's in pain, he's crying out to God. These oppressors are actually after him, but he's recalling all these things, reminding God, so that he could actually have confidence that no, there's justice coming. So I'm reminding God. Reminding myself that there is justice coming. And then notice David's trust in God's love. In verse 7, he says, But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. He's not saying, I'm a king, I'm a man after God's own heart, so I should just enter your temple, I should just enter your presence. No. He actually says, these are the evil people, but I enter your house Because of your steadfast love. Nothing that I do, not my caliber, not my excellence, not my moral character. All the songs that I've written or all the wars I fought have not placed me in God's house. Cannot place me in God's house. It's God's steadfast love. The word steadfast love, it's this commitment that God makes to his own people. Steadfast love. I will enter your house. Through God's steadfast love. Just imagine for a moment. You're standing in front of this huge palace. And the only one that's inside is this almighty God. And you go up there and you're reminded of all your sins and all your failures. And then all of a sudden, but you see this door opening for you. And the only reason that opened is because someone there inside was letting you in. That's what David is saying. Because of your steadfast love, I can actually enter your house. Then he says, I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. He's expressing his own humility when he says, I bow down toward your holy temple. This is the characteristic of the evildoers, but I, the only way I have any place because He doesn't, evil, in verse 4, notice he says, evil may not dwell with you, but the only reason I can dwell with you is because of your love. So, and then, doesn't trust in himself, he trusts in God's love. And then, last thing is, he appeals for God's guidance and judgment. It's verses 8 to 10. says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. He's appealing to God, appealing for guidance. And then in verse 10, and we'll see that he's appealing for God's judgment. Let's start with his guidance. So David, it's an interesting way to say, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Because of my enemies, you lead me in your righteousness. That is interesting why he has to ask that way. Because I think... This is my guess. When someone is attacking you, when someone is slandering your name, when someone is actually constantly persecuting you, what is the most natural thing that we would like to do? To retaliate. To ask for God's vengeance and hoping that we would be that instrument of that vengeance. To show that how powerful we are or to show them how correct and righteous we are, we would like to retaliate and show. David says, no, Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. You lead me. And then he says, make your way straight before me. Let me not be counted among the wicked. Let me not be counted among these evildoers. But you lead me in your righteousness, so the abiding God through prayer and trust, God's righteousness will abide in you. Then he's praying for God's guidance, and then he's praying for God's judgment. Verse 10 says, Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you, So he's actually praying that God would judge them according to their transgressions. That God would let them fall by their own counsels because of their transgression. God would cast them out. And notice how he ends. He says, for they have rebelled against you. But actually, they have rebelled against David. But David is reminding God, no, actually, when they rebel against me, they're actually rebelling against you, God. Why is that? Because that's how God identifies with his people. See, in Acts 9, when Paul was persecuting the church, what is, how does Jesus respond? He doesn't say, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting my people? Or why are you persecuting Christians? He says, why are you persecuting me? The identification that Jesus has through, for his people. This is why we are united with Christ. We actually are in him and his spirit is in us. He's identifying with us. And so David says, let them, let them fall by their own counsel. It's kind of reminds, the best illustration for this is the story of Haman and Mordecai and Esther. Uh, Haman, this evil, wicked man, he comes with this deceitful trap for to hang Mordecai. And this kind of uh, plot twist is that, Haman was hanged on the same thing that he actually planned it for Mordecai. and But on the flip side, Mordecai was exalted. And the thing that Haman was asking for, he didn't get it, Mordecai got it. And David is saying, let them fall by their own counsels. What traps that they have for me, let them fall by them. So what are three have three applications for us, based on verses four to 10. Uh, to, for us, how do we respond, especially living in this side of the cross, having the New Testament verses, and what to do about these things. Can we pray like this? Can we actually be the instruments of God's vengeance, and all those things? So, the first one is, uh, we got to remember that we are guided by this profound principle from the New Testament that vengeance is God's. Paul says, do not take revenge, but leave it to God. Because he says, vengeance is mine. Then also Jesus says, pray, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you. So, start with that. We are never and never instruments of God's vengeance. We're not the ones that are doing the action. We're we praying for God's justice, but we are not the people. And even actually, same David, who's praying like this, in Psalm 35, verses 12 to 14, he's again doing the same similar prayer, but then notice what he does after God has answered that prayer. He says, first he says that, Repay me evil for good. My soul is bereft. But, why, but I, when they were afflicted, I wore sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed on my chest. I went about through, though I grieved for my friend or my brother. As one who laments his mother, I bowed down in mourning. You see, David wasn't enjoying their defeat, their affliction. When God did what he asked for, he's actually fasting. He's praying. He wore sackcloth. So we're not the instruments or rejoice. We can rejoice when God does something like this. The second principle, second application is that this doesn't mean that we just passively accept injustice. Prayer is not the only thing we do, but prayer is at least the main thing that David is doing here. So we pray. Remind God his righteousness and ask God to act according to his righteousness. We pray, we seek God, and we're confident, we demonstrate a confidence that he will act according to his righteousness. And then the third one, probably the most important, is uh, it's easy for us when we read a psalm like this to identify ourselves with David, and then look at everyone else, oh, those are the evil doers, those are the people that do these kind of things, we should pray and ask God for intervention But actually, Paul cites verse 9 and says that this is the description of all humankind in Romans 3. He's using this verse and saying that this is actually the description of every human soul, like all human beings. He says in Romans 3, all have turned aside. There's no one that's righteous, not even one. All have fallen short of the glory of God. And then he says, he uses this verse. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues practice, practice deceit. The venom of Asp is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. The ruin and misery mark their ways. The way of peace they have not known. He says There is no fear of God in their eyes. That's the description. Paul says all, he describes all humanity in this way. We may not be guilty of every sin in there, but it's in our hearts to actually act on them. But there is always this but. I'm so thankful that Paul didn't end end there, or Jesus didn't, or God didn't. says, but now, and then he goes with this, one of the precious verses in the entire Bible, he says, but now the righteousness of God has been revealed through faith in Jesus. He says, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified freely by the redemption that is through Christ Jesus. God did this to demonstrate his justice because in, this, in his divine forbearance, he Passed over former sins. Why? To show that he's both the just and the justifier for those who have faith in Christ. So God did this so that we actually have access to him. We no longer belong to the category of verses 4 to 6 that God would destroy these people. No, we're actually on the receiving end of his forgiveness, his patience. His love, his mercy, all because of faith, all because of trust. And that righteousness belongs to us. And we are the recipients of this great, glorious gospel. And God doesn't destroy us anymore. We don't belong to the group of these wicked, evildoers. We are righteous. You want to know how much God hates sin? Look at the cross. Do you want to know how much God loves you and me? Look at the cross. To understand the depravity of sin. Look at the cross. To understand the depths of God's mercy and love. Look at the cross. And rejoice. As a Christian, there's much to rejoice it is good to be a Christian, is it not? Hello. Rise and shine. It is. It is good to be a Christian, right? Okay. This is my final point. Bank on His protection. Bank on his protection, verses 11 to 12. But let who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Look at it. When God said you destroy the evil doers, but then you bless the righteous. You cover him with favor. And again, just like in Psalm 4, that his circumstances didn't change. We have no indication that his circumstances have changed. We have no indication that God actually immediately answered David's prayer in destroying the evildoers and him getting relief from persecution. But what has changed is David's attitude towards his circumstances. And of being angry and bitter and crying out to God, He's actually encouraging everyone to rejoice. Why? Because we take refuge in God. And then he says, let them ever sing for joy. Singing is a great expression of us praising God. That's why I guess I love Bollywood movies because there's a lot of singing and dancing. But the Bible has a lot of singing and dancing too. In Psalm 150, Psalmist says, Sing to the Lord and dance. Part of your praising Him. And he says that, that those who love your name may exalt in you. The love your name. Name just means God's character. We pray in Jesus' name. It's not just the name, it's the, it means it represents something. It represents what God has revealed about Himself, and His character. So we lo- we love His name. We we're driving uh, when, we were, dri- when we we're driving somewhere. We're listening to this song called Beautiful Jesus, because like beautiful, beautiful Jesus. And my three-year-old said, That's not right. Jesus is not beautiful, he's handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I had to remind her that no, it's actually the name Jesus is beautiful. And why is that? Because that's how God has revealed Himself to us in the name of Jesus, His character, His righteousness. The way he loves us, all that. He says, For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with shield. This rejoicing is beautifully demonstrated in Romans 5. You don't have to turn there, there's a slide. Paul, again, in Romans 5, he, he's not saying that your circumstances would get better, but he says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus. So the reason for our rejoicing is not because everything got better. The reason for our rejoicing is because we are being protected by the one who can only protect us. We are shielded. We are covered. So we rejoice. So abide in God. you say it's not just one dimensional. It's multi-dimensional. But through this song, we abide in God through prayer. And let's not forget trust faith. Why? So that his righteousness would abide in us. So let's pray. Gracious Father, we want to bless you. God, thank you so much for not counting us among the wicked. Not counting us among those evildoers, but actually considering us as your own children. Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for shedding your own blood. Thank you for purchasing your church, your bride. God, help us to live a life of gratitude. Help us to live a life of rejoicing. God, we love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.